Radio Bio is adhering to COVID-19 shelter-in-place orders, and we are committed to producing fun and educational podcasts for your enjoyment. Please excuse the difference in the audio quality of our post-production while we use online tools to safely work from home. We appreciate you tuning in. Ants. They are everywhere if you look for them. Ants engage in all the things that we associate with our own society, like farming and policing, and have complex social structures. This week on Radio Bio, we talked to Dr. Ahab Abuhev, a professor from McGill University, about his research on cooperation in ants and the microbes that exist in symbiosis with them. This is Radio Bio. Don't know much biology. Hello and welcome to Radio Bio. I'm your host, Yumari Vasquez. And I am Layla Wahab. Today we have with us Dr. Ahab Abuhaif, a professor from McGill University. Welcome. Thank you. Great pleasure to be here. To start us off, will you tell us about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Ahab Abuhaif, and I'm a, I'm a, f- a professor at uh, McGill University. Uh, and I've been there since uh, 2004. Uh, but I've been working on ants, essentially the society of ants. Uh, and studying the genetics of the society ants since about 1995. Kind of, that's when I first fell in love with them. Um, so you said two really interesting things there. One that you fell in love uh, with ants, and secondly, you talked about the society of ants. So I guess first, uh, how did you fall in love with ants? Well, it's an interesting story. Um, when I first uh, started my PhD. I was actually working with somebody who worked on fish, uh, very interesting fish. Uh, these are called cichlid fish, which live in Africa, in the crater lakes of Africa. And I was, I was totally mesmerized uh, as a kid by uh, just the amazing diversity of fish. But it turns out my advisor had moved to, or was going to move uh, to Germany. Uh, so I started looking, and I, and I went to um, another, the lab of uh, a, quite a, a famous now person in my field. His name is Gregory A. Ray, and he's at Duke University. And he just looked at me, um, and he said, look, I know you were studying fish, and you can study anything you want. It just can't have a backbone. You know, the idea came up. We, we were thinking about really interesting organisms uh, to study um, sort of developmental biology, evolution, and ecology. We thought, what kind of organisms would be really interesting to do this in? And we, we named a lot of different kinds of organisms. But ants kept popping up. And, the, and, and you know, at some point, we just looked at each other, like, you know, let's just do it. This is, this is going to be, this is really exciting. And so, but I wasn't really in love with them at that point. I was just, I was in love with the idea, but I wasn't in love with them particularly. Uh, so, you know, I'd never, of course, collected an ant in my life. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I burned them with, uh, you know, with a lens. I <laughs> drowned them in water. I followed their trails. I, you know, I did all kinds of, I do, I do what kids do with ants, like essentially, but never really, you know, but, uh, but I never really collected them in any kind of professional way. And so I picked up a spoon. Uh, that's about what I knew how to do. And I, and I ran outside and I started looking for them with a spoon. 
And I dug up those little mounds, you know, these little mounds that you find in sidewalks, these little mounds and then the answer in the mound. And what was amazing is, of course, I, I, I failed miserably. I mean, I kept digging and found nothing and I kept digging and I found nothing. I might have gotten a few workers. It was just, uh, you know, a, a spectacular failure. And I, I went on months like that trying to collect these ants. And it was uh, quite uh, quite amazing. And at some point, I came back with my head down, with my spoon in hand, dangling from my, from, you know, from my long arms. And I just said to my, you know, one of my fellow grad students at the time, I was like, well, you know, you know, she goes, what are you working? What are you looking for? I was like, well, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to try and start to work on ants. So she went and she spoke to her uh, boyfriend and came back and said to me, oh, you know, well, uh, my boyfriend says there's this guy. I was in New York at the time I, this when, when this was happening, Long Island, New York. There's this guy on Long Island. He, he's, he makes false teeth for a living, but he has three acres of land that he dedicates to the study of ants just for the pure love of it. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> So he gave me, she gave me the number, and of course I, I spent another couple of weeks uh, because I'm a stubborn, you know, I'm a stubborn kind of guy, and I just kept digging and digging away, and then at some point I decided to call him, and that was the point where I think my life changed. I, I spoke to him, and he said, "Well, why don't you come visit me?" Um, his name is Ray Sanwald. Yeah, I, I consider him to be the true Ant Man. Uh, <laughs> uh, not the guy in the movies, but this this Trace Anwald is the trauma. And so I went to visit him at this property, and you know it was it was like magic. All of a sudden, you know he he had three acres of land. He had all these ants under the rocks, and he had marked all these rocks where all the ants are. And he would take me to each of the rocks and lift up the ants and show me, you know tell me about them. And then we dug them up together. And then he would show me how to dig them and show me how to find them. And I'll never forget the exact moment I fell in love. There was uh, a colony of the big headed ant called uh, from the genus Fidoli. And this is, you know, these guys are special because the workers, uh, they have, uh, you know, kind not just the regular kind of worker ants, but they have worker ants and they have Big-headed soldier ants. You can't miss them. They're really quite striking. And we dug this up, and I was just looking at it, and I just I was mesmerized by these big-headed soldiers and the way they ran around trying to defend the nest and kind of like bite the bite the you know my fingers and my hands and my arm. Just absolutely remarkable. Um, so that was the exact moment I, I think I fell in love, and and Ray and I developed a really close friendship. I mean. Just for the pure love of ants. I'll never forget, I told him once, I said, you know, Ray, I'm looking for this particular species of ant. It's called the um, it's called the heart-shaped ant. You know, they're kind of small. They're not easy to find. And so he, he says, you know, Ahab, come here. So he takes me to the back of a big K into an abandoned car. And there happens to be this carpet in this abandoned car. We pull out the carpet, okay, and he starts to rip the carpet apart layer after layer. And as we get to the third layer, all of a sudden it's like a volcano of ants just erupts from the carpet and just starts overflowing into like on my arms and my hands and everything. And he goes, that's what you were looking for. Just something just completely blew my mind. It's just incredible, you know? 
And so I, at that point, I was so far in love, there was no looking back. I mean, it was just ridiculous. So I wanted to ask Layla's question, which I think is, what is the Society of Ants? That's, uh, you know, a very good question. It's very relevant because, I mean, when we think about ants as individuals, they're, they're quite simple. They're just like any other insect. But when we think of them as societies, um, their, their societal organization, uh, the societal complexity of ants, easily rivals the, the complexity of human societies. And uh, they evolved essentially convergently. What does that mean? Is that, you know, the ants have evolved their society completely in, in a different way, in a different time than humans evolved their society. But it turns out that there are some natural outcomes that when you start having a group of individuals cooperating together, it turns out that there are some also behaviors that naturally arise. When we talk about the complexity of ant societies, we have, of course, policing, we have, we have warfare, we have amazing amounts of cooperation, there are agriculture. There's all kinds of amazing things that ants have you know, evolved as, a, as an outcome. Really, if you want to understand societies uh, and how societies are put together, um, it's hard to study human society in a way because it's not so easy to take them apart and put them back together, human societies. But, of course, ant societies are things that you can really uh, take apart and put back together. It's quite amazing, yeah? Ants are an amazing system to study cooperation. Not only do they have roles like foraging and nest building, but they also use complex interactions to communicate important factors to each other. If you want to learn more about cooperation with ants, check out our podcast with Dr. Deborah Gordon. Wait, so ants can farm? Yes, so ants invented agriculture way before humans can. And there's actually a paper that was just published of Nature, Ecology, and Evolution that show that, that ants have very much the same kind of struggles with agriculture that humans do. So it turns out that, you know, of course, humans have domesticated their crops and they're always trying to trade off the productivity of those crops with the, the, their resistance to the stress of environmental change. You know, the way they farm, their, the way they do their agriculture is quite amazing. And these are the leafcutter ants in, in Central and Latin America, actually Southern U.S., Central and Latin America. Uh, you find them in Texas. And there are some uh, amazing research going on in, on these leafcutter ants. And what they do is they cut leaves and then they use the pieces of leaves to uh, they bring them back to what are called these fungal gardens. So they make these these sort of uh, gardens uh, in their nests, and they put the leaves in the garden, and they grow a certain kind of fungus. And the ants eat the fungus, okay? Uh, at the you know so they farm the fungus, they eat the fungus, and the fungus at the same time gets a chance. It's kind of like a symbiosis. The fungus gets always being is being propagated by the ants but it also gets eaten so it's kind of like a, a you know win-win situation between the the fungus and the ants but it's really a kind of a farming society and what's amazing is i've stood on the banks in in, in costa rica and uh, and panama and i've watched these societies at work it's just incredible i mean they even have a really efficient waste management system so you know there's a whole trail of ants each catching a, a particle of this dead fungus and they dip it in the river 
in a in a direction that takes it away from the colony, so it doesn't uh, you know affect the colony. And so you can see this kind of conveyor belt where they're just dumping these you know pieces of. And I just sat on the banks of you know on the on a river in Panama or a stream in Panama and watched this. I was just like, boof, just kaboom. My brain was just totally blown away. That's incredible. So what do ants farm? Well, they farm fungi to feed their baby ants, larvae. For example, leafcutter ants cut leaves to bring it back to the colony, while another group of ants, called apterostigma ants, collect anything from seeds to insect droppings to grow the fungus. They even do their own weeding and apply their own pesticide using bacteria. I wanted to talk about your Nature published article in September, and I want you to, if it was okay, if you can tell us a little bit what that paper was about and kind of why it was so important. It's quite amazing when we think about, even in our own bodies, the human body, how, you know, I've heard some reports, I've read some scientific reports, that for every human cell, there's like, you know, something like 20 times the number of bacterial cells. And so if we were to count the total number of bacterial cells, even in our own body, that um, they would outnumber us by some ridiculous number, you know, by by the thousands, right? And so it brings kind of the issue of, well, if our cells are mostly bacteria, if we were if we were to count ourselves, and you know, of course, the bacteria can't live so well without the humans, and the humans can't live so well without the bacteria. You know, it makes you just wonder in amazement, how is it that you know, bacteria and humans, you know, came to forge this relationship? We know that the bacteria do all kinds of amazing things. We know that, uh, you know, uh, for humans, if you take, you know, there's a lot of research trying to figure this out. But if you just sit for a moment and imagine in what world, in what kind of way, over how many millions of years uh, did it come that the bacteria and the humans, you know, formed this relationship such that they start, you know, essentially were, were individuals, were one individual together you know and so it kind of challenges our notion a little bit about you know uh, what does an individual mean where are we what are we doing in this world and so uh, you know this is really I think what we were able to answer with the ants because in the same way that you know humans have bacteria that we can't live without in our in our guts the carpenter ants uh, also have this bacteria in their guts that they just simply can't live without. And they also, in the same way that humans, and it's, you know, coming back to our discussion at the beginning, um, in the same way that you had all, you know, that, you know, humans have societies and ants have societies and ants have all these societal kind of behaviors like policing and warfare and, you know, and, and cooperation and farming and same with the ants. Well, in the same way, they forge this incredible, um, you know, symbiosis between uh, the bacteria and the ants and, and the ants and so so what it is is essentially there's this bacteria it's called blockmania uh, it was discovered you know 100 one of the first bacterial symbionts to be discovered uh, in an insect and essentially the blockmania and the uh, ant uh, now behave as if they're a single individual okay and just like humans uh, you know, at some stage during their development, there are many more. There's much more DNA of the of the of the bacteria than there is of the ant. In any case, um, 
you know, the bacteria gives to the ant, uh, you know, a better nutrition, immunity, um, and the ant gives to the bacteria um, a safe place to be. So they, they essentially live inside the cells of the ant, so they live in this really nice protected place. And they're able to uh, pass them on from generation to generation. So they, they get passed along with the ant in a, in a pretty faithful way. So, that's the, so it's, it's incredible. They have this relationship um, that's, you know, like bacteria and humans, the bacteria and the ants, you know, it's kind of unbreakable. You, you they need each other to survive. And it's as if they're one individual. Are you interested in reading Dr. Aluhape's nature paper on the origin and elaboration of a major evolutionary transition in individuality? We've linked it in the description for this episode. So what happens in the case of ants when you break down this cooperation with the bacteria? So when you get rid of the bacteria, does the ant survive or does it just die? Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, when, I, when I first asked that question to one of my German colleagues, her name is Heike Feldhar, she's like, you know... It looks like the ants get diarrhea. That's what she told me. <laughs> and so they start to poop a lot more than they usually do. Okay. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and uh, so on the very short term, what happens is they get diarrhea. That I can tell you for a fact, right? Uh, in the longer term, the ants, uh, the, you can see that the sizes of the colony start to shrink, you know? So it's inevitable. In all the replicated experiments that they've done, you remove this, you know, endosymbiotic bacteria is so important for the ant. And all of a sudden you see it, you know, this, the colony size starts shrinking. The other thing you start seeing is that uh, their size, their, their range of sizes that they have, the sizes all go down. Okay. The sizes, the size of the ants shrink in a kind of predictable way. And that's because, you know, they are not getting the nutrition they need. Um, and what we noticed in our own work, in our own paper, so this was based on some previously published work, what we noticed in our own paper is that, um, uh, you know, the gonads get all messed up. So in the majority of them, uh, you know, just the way that the gonads form are all messed up, you know, and so even the ability of the individuals to reproduce in the next generation kind of gets totally kind of, uh, you know, derailed. So you, you keep on bringing up this whole, um, kind of idea challenging our notion of uh, what an individual is. And then once we start thinking of symbionts that become part of an individual, and then it almost becomes necessary for functioning at some point, like, what do you think about this concept of individuality? Does it, does, does having studied this kind of erode your idea or that traditional idea of I am an individual? Because now we know that we have all these things you know, within us, ants have them. A lot of organisms have them where they have this other organism that suddenly becomes a part of them too. So like how, have, have those lines changed for you kind of? That's actually, it's, a, it's an excellent question. I think there's kind of a quiet revolution happening in biology. And, you know, there's always been an interaction, by the way, between society and, and biology. And, you know, the very notions of individuality or being an individual are so central to capitalism, are so central to our way of life in North America that, you know, any di discussion of, of communism or of, of groups or functioning as groups or cooperating as groups, 
is so, you know, um, you know, is so against the idea of the individual in society, in, in, in the way in which we live. And so uh, that kind of that kind of centrality of the individual has also influenced the way we do biology in, in many ways, because, you know, we for so long have thought about um, evolution as, um, you know, selection, the unit of natural selection, the way that uh, things evolve, they evolve. We've, we focus so much on the individual, right? But when we start looking at nature, we start seeing that, um, just as much as we see competition, we see cooperation between organisms everywhere, you know? And this was a, a you know, it's interesting when Darwin published his Origin of Species, um, this was used by some as a kind of defense of capitalism that you see there's competitions between individuals and it's the individual that should be all important in our society. But there were also, you know, from, you know, some kind of uh, the communist side, there's a, a fellow by the name of Prince Peter Kropotkin, who was, uh, um, you know, sort of uh, from royalty in Russia, and he, he became an, a sort of an anarchist and a, and a communist. And he kind of challenged a little bit the Darwinian notion that, uh, you know, uh, while there is competition at the level of the individual, okay, so we acknowledge this. But at the same time, there's remarkable degrees of cooperation everywhere you look. And, you know, it's the organisms that are most cooperative that seem to be the most successful. And if you look at these ants that form this symbiosis with the bacteria, I mean, they are the most speciose species of, of ant that exists on the earth. So out of the 15,000 species of ants, there's well over 1,500 of these uh, these carpenter ants. I mean, they're what they're, we would call them hyperdiverse. And I don't think it's by any, um, there's, I don't think it's a coincidence that they also have this remarkable cooperation with the symbiotic bacteria um, and that they themselves cooperate in societies, right? And so you even have to think about, I just want to say something else. I mean, not only, and we shouldn't think of this as between unrelated things. I mean, if you think about our own bodies, I mean, not only are we cooperating with bacteria inside our own bodies, but, you know, all animals, I mean, according to all the theories and textbooks, come from a single, single-celled organisms. So at some point in the history of life, there were a bunch of single-celled organisms, bacteria, protist-like, you know, individuals, that got together. They started to cooperate to give rise to, you know, what we know as all animals, the multicellular animals and plants and fungi. So everything that has more than one cell that is cooperating together originated as a single cell, so a bunch of single-celled organisms that decided that life was easier when you get together and you start forming these, you know, sort of cooperative societies than it is if you were just a single cell on your own. And these single cells, you know, we should think of it as cooperation. Right? You have a bunch of cooperating cells. Our bodies are essentially uh, you know, millions and trillions of, of cooperating cells, cells that have come to cooperate and depend on each other and, and form these incredibly complex um, 
interactions together, just like a social insect colony, just like the bacteria and, and you know, the and humans coming together. And, you know, we need to start to think about some of our major diseases instead of thinking of them as, well, it's just, you know, biology gone wrong. I mean, it's just, you know, simply that the, the individualist view of the whole thing would say, oh, you, know, you just got a mutation in one of your cells. It went wrong. So now you have cancer or now you have, uh, you know, now you have some disease or you're at greater risk of some disease. Well, why don't we start thinking about these things? And this is not, of course, my own. These, these are ideas that are out there, but not yet taken up by the medical community. Are the, the idea that, well, why don't we start thinking of cancer as the breakdown of cooperation of cells? You know, that's how we have to start thinking about it. Why don't we start thinking of disease, diseases as breakdown between the cooperation between our bacteria and our own cells? Why don't we start thinking of, of all of these things as, as kind of cooperation? And um, I, I think it, it just fundamentally changes the way we think about society. I think the way we think about biology. But I just don't think we're ready yet as a society to take those ideas. It's quite incredible, all of this, you know, all of these different viewpoints, how society and biology converge and how our notions of individuality are so central and important to the way we think about medicine, to the way we think about biology, to the way we think about evolution, to the way we think about all of these issues and problems. So it's, it's, it's quite fundamental, actually. It's a very, not weird at all. It's actually quite fundamental in the way we think about things. And I, I think we're a long way off before, you know, really, a, 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 you know, kind of acknowledging where the future of biology should be. This is going to bug me if I don't ask this but real quick. Do you have a favorite ant movie? Oh, favorite ant movie. Uh, you know, that's a really, really, really good question. Yeah, you know, I have to say, I mean, I love the Ant-Man series. Um, I like those are like definitely my favorite. <laughs> you know, I think they do. Uh, I think they do a really great job. Um, not such a big fan of the cartoons, but the movies, uh, you know, are pretty awesome. <laughs> the, you know, the Ant-Man ones. Thank you. Okay, so to get to a little bit more about our research, just because I no, got it in my head. You know? <laughs> I, let me tell you something. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's quite amazing. You know, these kind of these movies really do inspire. Like you know, the sci-fi, they do really inspire imagination. And in fact, if you look at one of my videos, we have a video on the internet somewhere lurking in there, um, because you know, Ant Man. Um, you know, he just presses this kind of his, the, the, you know, the pim particles, you know, he presses the thing, he shrinks down to the size, like a tiny size, and he gets bigger. And actually, one of our discoveries, um, you know, this kind of like purely imaginative thing, and, and one of our discoveries was came in 2015, where just by messing with um, some, some epigenetics, so, you know, just by mo chemically modifying the DNA of some ants, we could actually have their size and we could also double their size of the ants. And, you know, uh, one of the co-authors on the, on the study was a total fanatic of, like, movies. And, and so, you know, he, you know, told the media at that time, he was like, well, you know, we basically found the science behind the pin particles, you know? These pin particles are actually methylation that will, you know, kind of, uh, you know, modif chemically modify your DNA 
you could shrink things in half and double the size of them. And, you know, uh, he, he was a little imaginative, of course, but, uh, you know, <laughs> they get us to think uh, far and wide about, you know, the connections between our imagination and science. Right? Thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> you know. It turns out in biology that cooperation is just as important as competition for species to thrive. Societies of ants interact with Blackmania to stay healthy. So next time you think about you as an individual, don't forget all your cells, bacteria, and everything that makes you, well, you. This episode of Radio Bio was produced by Cal Larnard and Melinda Gonzalez. The interviewers were Yumari Vasquez and Leila Wahab. Art was done by Reina Warnart. Editing was done by Leila Wahab. Radio Bio is produced by graduate students at the University of California, Merced. Support for Radio Bio comes from the Quantitative and Systems Biology Graduate Group, the School of Natural Sciences, the Graduate Division, and the University Friends Circle at UC Merced. You can help support Radio Bio's mission of increasing scientific literacy in California's Central Valley and beyond by donating at giving.ucmerced.edu slash radiobio. Find out more about our mission, events, and podcast at www.radiobio.net.